It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Las Vegas continues to grow and change as only Las Vegas can. Where are we headed and what should we avoid in this tourism and gaming center? My guest may have the answers. He's Oliver Lovett, leading academic researcher, writer, and CEO of Denstone Group, which offers consultancy in the fields of strategy, asset management, and development, specializing in customer-facing real estate. For everything about the Denstone Group, go to denstonegroup.com and you can follow Oliver on X at Ali Lovett. And Oliver, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Yes, it's been a while. I thought this is the perfect time to have you back to talk about the, so many of the changes going on in Las Vegas. I mentioned in the opening how we grow and change. And the larger question is, why is Las Vegas, from your point of view, and you deal with a lot of people around the world, why is Las Vegas so endlessly fascinating to the world? I think what's interesting, I saw a commercial on the news last night for some new city they're building in Saudi Arabia. And it said, this is the first city ever built for fun. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, Las Vegas is a city that's built for fun. And I think that's why the world enjoys and is so interested in Las Vegas. Traditionally, historically, it was because of the spectacle. We had stuff here that nowhere else had. We had hotels and buildings and entertainment programming that nowhere else in the world had. And yes, there are other cities in the world. You know, obviously, Macau is a much bigger gaming center. And there's phenomenal buildings in Singapore and Dubai and now Saudi Arabia. But there's something about the concentration and the quantum of entertainment, of experiential things within Las Vegas, particularly for adults, that make this city fascinating for so many. And I remember, I mean, this is going back 25, more than that years, when I first came to Las Vegas, and we were staying in the Mirage because everything else was being built at the time. And they had tigers in the lobby, <laughs> you know? How, how can you have a building this big with tigers? So that sense of spectacle was, you know, was uh, uh, had a big impression on me and my own career. But I'm sure everybody that comes here has memories of their trips to Las Vegas, and I think that's why, you know, so many people are interested because of the emotional resonance and experiences that they've had here. And now we have the added features of sports, major league sports, and sports teams and special events such as Formula One and, of course, the Super Bowl and others. So that adds another layer of fun and excitement to a city that, I hate to use the cliche, but it never seems to sleep. I'm paraphrasing. I think, but. Yeah, I think you're right. I think two things have changed. Number one, so first of all, at the end of every cycle, of every recession, something new happens in Las Vegas and the city gets re-energized again and, and, and re-relevant re again. Um, and in this case, we've got two. We've got sports and we have the sphere. And I think, you know, so Bill Hornbuckle said something relatively recently. He spoke at an event at the Economic Club of Las Vegas. And he said, 
America's divided. We're a divided country. But the only thing that really unites us is sport. And, you know, if, if you look at what happens in Las Vegas, it used to be the calendar was, you could say, okay, this is a quiet week. Mm-hmm. That's a busy week. That's a quiet week. You could plan. And then this type of customer will come that week. And then this type of customer will come the next month. Because of the way that the sports calendar and Las Vegas have meshed together, those quiet weeks aren't so quiet anymore. So because of the amount of, we, we, they call them experiences, they call them attractions, they call them events, stuff. Because of the amount of stuff that's going on at Las Vegas at the moment, we don't seem to have the same lulls in the calendar that we have before. And sports has kind of filled those very, very small voids that have existed. The city seems busier than it ever was in terms of the calendar and in terms of people, and to an extent it is. Do you think, though, that Las Vegas could use a couple of those slow periods to regroup and take a breath and just relax a little bit? Or are you in favor of the constant excitement, stimulation, and, of course, the marketing as a result of all that and the revenue that flows in? But how do you stand on that issue? And Would you like to see a couple of those little pauses built into the calendar? I sat here during COVID where we did nothing. So I'm not in a rush to have quiet times back again. But but what's also interesting is, uh, listen to Horn, Mr. Hornbuckle, he said that, you know, what we are the capital of is perishable inventory. That is, on any given day, we have 158,000 hotel rooms. We've got, you know, 200,000 seats in various venues across the city that have to be sold. So if we don't have something on in the showrooms or we don't have an event on in the town to fill the guest rooms, then they go unsold and, and are, uh, there's no revenue associated to them. So the more things we have, the more experiences and events that we create, the more chances we have, you know, to, our, our businesses have to make money. And, and you know, I, I don't want to lull. I don't want things to be busy. <laughs> There, there was this, and I've had guests on to talk about this. In fact, just recently, Alan Snell was, was one of them, and, and Ron Futrell, too, talking about Formula One, where, yes, it was an overall net revenue producer for especially the big casinos, but there were a lot of small businesses that were affected because of the construction and the, the erection of the various platforms that you had to have and the track, et cetera. Is that something to be taken into consideration as Formula One comes back next year and the year after that, the impact both negatively as well as positively? Of course, and not to mention downtown as well. Downtown was particularly badly affected by by Formula One, where a lot of people delayed. Uh, Formula One was very much a... I I, I was a big advocate for it. I think it brought people to Las Vegas, brought a certain type of person to Las Vegas that hadn't come in the past, brought them here, especially on what was traditionally a quiet week within the calendar. And of course, we saw huge uh, returns both in terms of gaming revenue and room rates within certain properties. And I think one of the lessons that is learned from Formula One in year one is that love has to be spread a little bit wider than the the properties that benefited from it. So I think in years two and three and, and, and following years, that's something which will have to be taken into account by the organizers into how you bring more properties and more people into Formula One rather than that just that particular high-end demographic. Because Formula One in other cities, yes, a lot of wealthy people go to it, 
and participate in it, but also, you know, it's accessible. Whereas for a lot of people in Las Vegas, the Formula One experience wasn't accessible from a pricing perspective. And I think that's something that has to you know, be looked at for future years. And also, too, a lot of it was not really that accessible to people that wanted to logistically get there because of all the traffic and construction. And of course, the employees on the Strip had a, an issue as well. So you're right. That has to be looked into. When you look at what's been going on from your vantage point, and you're talking with clients all the time, too. The changes that have gone on, the growth on the Strip, and I'm just thinking even recently, relatively recently, the Sphere being a a new attraction. It's an amazing attraction, and yet it has to fill seats. Again, you're talking about seats and perishable inventories. They have to come up with not only YouTube performing there, but other acts that can draw people in there. This is a very long question, too. I'd rather have you have the long answer to my shorter question, but basically... How important is it when you have something like the Sphere, which is not a gaming destination, it is a game or a gaming attraction, it's really more entertainment. How important is the entertainment sector now to Las Vegas than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago? Let's break that into a little bit out. So entertainment is one of the buckets. You also have food as a bucket, you have alcohol and liquor as a bucket, you have hotels as a bucket, and you have gaming as a bucket. They're your revenue buckets. Retail too. And Retail. Correct. Absolutely. So you have these various buckets that which you're trying to generate revenue for. And the, and the true secret to casino resort development um, and programming is to get customers to do multiple things. We call it tandem or tridom experiences. So you come see a show, you have a meal, you go and gamble, and then you have a couple of drinks, maybe go to a nightclub. How do you get customers, particular customers, the customers you want to come and do these type of things? Um, Casinos are open 24-7. Restaurants are open every single day. Bars are open every single day. So how do you create those those time-limited experiences that say, we have to go this Saturday night, this Wednesday night to go. And entertainment has always been one of those things where if you don't go and see the performer when they're here, you can't go and see them when they're not. So, you know, if you can try and get people to come to Las Vegas for that particular that particular trip, that particular time, live entertainment and shows have always been one of the reasons to get people to come at a particular time or a particular date. And that's kind of what has set Las Vegas apart from the likes of, you know, the Dubais and the Singapore's and the other cities in the world. We used to say Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. You can pretty, you know, New York's pretty cool. LA's got a lot of stuff on, so is London. But if you look at what's happened in terms of the entertainment calendar in modern Las Vegas today, on any given Saturday night of the year, you can look at half a dozen of the world's greatest venues with half a dozen of the world's greatest artists or performers in them. I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that has a higher concentration and frequency of high-end entertainment and quality popular entertainment than Las Vegas has. And as long as we continue to book those artists, make money, bring customers here, then that will continue. What about the and pricing, though? The- what about Oliver? What about the pricing? You mentioned about the high quality entertainment, and I agree with you. I mean, it was to your earlier point when we started talking about how Las Vegas is such a concentration of hotels and 
casinos and now entertainment venues, high-end headliners. Is the pricing right in terms of the ticket prices for seeing some of these entertainers? You mean to Broadway recently? <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or, or the West End, or the West End of London, right? So, you know, I, I I read a study and I was looking at some of the data of what's happened in terms of ticket pricing over the last, or what people have spent on tickets and shows over the last ten years or so in Las Vegas, and I think it's gone up something like six hundred percent. What the people that go to shows spend on those show tickets, and I'm guessing if you put on a quality experience with an artist that people want to come and see they'll pay the money to go and see it and it's exactly the same in any other city with any form of entertainment you know and certainly if you want to go to the sphere and see you too you're gonna and you're a youtube fan you're gonna see your favorite band and possibly the best live entertainment venue in the world there is a premium to be paid for that experience and if you don't want to go and see it you don't pay it i give you I, I, you know i i'm I'd like to think of myself as relatively young-ish still. <laughs> However, I'm, I went to see Frankie Valley. There's Frankie Valley tickets, 60 bucks. You want to go and see the Jersey Boys on, you know, playing in Broadway, you're paying 150 bucks. So you can go and see the real thing. <laughs> exactly. Granted, at a, at a fraction of the price of right. what the production show would be. So, you know, what's the, the value is what someone's prepared to pay for it. And uh, I'd like to think, you know, and again, if you look at what's going on in the city, that's only one of, of a handful of shows that one could go and see, ranging from, you know, five, six hundred bucks a ticket to, you know, 50. Oh, there's you're a, right. There's a, you're right. You know, there's a, there's a range of stuff. And, I, and I, you know, that's what I love about this city as much as anything else. It's on to visit as a place to visit and to live. There is so much to do. At various price points. I mean, I was I was chatting to somebody from the UK today who's coming over in February and says, "Will I be able to watch the this particular soccer game when he visits?" I said, "Not only can you watch it, you can go down to Circa in downtown Las Vegas, and it's not just the best place in the world to watch live sport; it's also the second best place in the world to watch live sport if you choose to go outside." So, you know, there's so much that goes on in here, which is the best. And if you're prepared, you know, and seeking those experiences, we have them. Yeah, I can see your point. The, the one part that sticks, and that may be because I'm prejudiced as a local, the one, and I understand what you're saying about ticket prices, the one part, and people will laugh, they do laugh when you talk about it as a local Las Vegan, and that has to do with the issue of paid parking on the Las Vegas Strip or even downtown. Because for decades, locals parked, well, everybody parked for free in the casinos because they were already making their money from the various buckets you talked about earlier. Well, a new bucket, evidently, is parking for the casinos and the resorts. And it still roils the locals, not so much, I don't think, the visitors from other states and cities, but locals get crazed with that. And it's, it just seems to me that you're missing a bet by charging locals because normally, as you know, Oliver, you would take a, have a business lunch at a casino because you take a client there and have a business lunch. Now you're having to pay for parking or pay a valet on an enormous amount of money that you never had to do before. So you're going to end up going somewhere else instead. What's your take on that from, again, your perspective, which I, I value because of your experience of dealing with all of these different issues? 
So, so I've written about this before because I see it from both sides because I've worked obviously both uh, both as a user of the resorts as a customer, but also as somebody who's worked on the development side. So let's take them one by one. Number one, it's a pain in the backside and an annoyance to pay for something where you never had to pay for it before. Number one. Number two, secondly, it's counterintuitive to the business model because when you're when you're in a highly competitive environment, you would want to, if the customers have a choice to go somewhere and park for free or for or paid parking, you want them. You want to capture that customer by getting them into your property. So by putting up a barrier for them to come in is not a good move from a strategy or from a business point of view. Um, you want to be trying to find points for competitive advantage rather than trying to put up barriers to it. However, from the casino side, in order to... The cost to construct, the cost to build a parking garage is somewhere between $20,000 to $30,000 per parking space. So these structures historically have been very expensive things to build. And in this age of, of um, you know, trying to capture revenue and pay for things, if you can, you, you need to generate a revenue for that, that cost to build these things. So, and, and when looking at an operator, the cost to run a valet or a parking garage in a, in, in, a, in a resort can cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars per annum to operate a valley at somewhere like the MGM Grand. So you want to try and generate revenue rather than, than uh, incur costs for that service. So I understand the business case mm-hmm. why the operators seek to do that. And if they were to make parking free, having charged for it previously, you're writing off tens of millions of dollars of bottom line revenue which you've had for a couple of years so you can go back to it that said there has to be a balance somewhere and i think places like the win and the venetian which offer two three hours of free parking is fair and reasonable and gives people enough time to come in for lunch and dinner without having to park it pay for parking but i you know i've seen some really egregious cases where people take their cars, locals take their cars to the strip, park it for two weeks while they go and get a you know, taxi to the airport where it's cheap. I mean, that kind of stuff which I've, which so there has to be uh, right. some kind of balance and fairness where you know, the garages are not being exploited, but at the same time, you know, locals and customers can come in and, and use the services of the properties without having to pay for it. And I think most places now if you have a, a player's card or of a certain you know, mm-hmm. here you get some kind of free parking and that play is rewarded. So I think we're kind of at this happy balance now where it's commercially viable for the, um, but also, you, you know, friendly enough for, for locals to park. And by the way, you know, you don't have to come to Strip. You want to go down to Red Rock or Durango or one of the boy properties. The local offerings are just as, they're better now than I think they've ever been. I was going to talk to you about that. The The other addition to the periphery of Las Vegas, meaning the strip at downtown, is not only the locals' casinos, but also independent restaurants that have opened up. They suffered during COVID, but a lot of them are back. And it would, I think for locals, and people listen and watch us from all over the world, but for the locals who decide they don't want to go to the strip because it's too much trouble, they can go and have a nice meal at a local restaurant. They can go to a local casino and have the same experience. You're right about the headliners. If you the only place you can get those is going to be probably on the Las Vegas Strip, and to a lesser degree 
in some cases downtown, but primarily the Strip. So looking at it from your lens, how important is the local scene? And I don't mean just downtown, but the periphery. So you're getting into Green Valley, you're getting into Summerlin, you're getting to other areas where there are established local, in North Las Vegas, there are established local casinos and local restaurants and other attractions. You know, I wish you would ask me this because I would have pulled out some numbers. I did this research a couple of years ago where I looked at the size of the locals market in Las Vegas. This is the, the, the revenues coming from the non-strip properties in Clark County that were out with the tourist corridor. And they're pretty significant. I mean, the, the, the revenues that somewhere like a Red Rock or a Green Valley or in the Boy properties do, they're reasonably significant. Um, and there's a reason why the lights of station continually reinvest in the valley by offering new resorts, such as Durango, mm -hmm. but also have a pipeline of new properties. The it's a very strong gaming sub-market in Southern Nevada. So, you know, with, a, with an entirely different customer. And again, I, I, I'm speaking at the International Casino Conference in London in February, where I'm looking at strategies for reinventing or repositioning casinos, what's going on on the casino floor. And I look at the likes of the Durango, which I think has, you know, a couple of hundred rooms in it, but 15 or 16 restaurants or places to eat and the way that that food and beverage offering has come together so you can you know you can go there for a good evening and eat in for example the same restaurant or the same operator that is in the arts district in one of the you know the sub markets or in the suburbs uh, and increasingly you're seeing a lot of those food and beverage operations that are coming out of the casinos and coming into central urban markets moving into the suburbs as well so locals in Las Vegas really are spoiled with the <laughs> offerings that we have. Within, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, you know, no, I agree. You know, I've, I've, I've traveled the country. I've looked at casinos in multiple markets. The food and beverage offering in a lot of them is not great. Whereas if you look at what's going on in a lot of places, especially in the Las Vegas market, you've got some really, really good restaurants. I'll give you another example. You know, we used to love going to um, the Thai restaurant. that used to be off the What's the name of it? Uh, the word of my mind's gone blank. Yeah, the uh, opposite Thai restaurant we moved into Red Rock. I'm also um, getting the same brain freeze. Yes, and now it's it's on Flamingo, but it used to be in the commercial I'm, center. Sahara, yeah. You know, you can, we don't have to come into the center of Las Vegas. Lotus of Siam. Oh, thank you very much. You can go to Just um, you can go to Lotus and Red Rock and Summerlin without having to go into without having to go into town. Um, and it's a and it's a very good experience. So, you know the. the on one hand, when you talk about the car parking charges, it's something that, you know, the we talk about that whole level of competitive strategy. It's something that the strip operators have done to themselves. You know, the strip operators have made it harder for locals or barrier for locals to come into the strip, whereas the Boyds and the stations of the world have said, thank you very much, we'll have that business. <laughs> exactly. I've got two questions left, and uh, we have about five, six minutes, so. Hopefully we can get to both, but one is the recently opened Fountain Blue Hotel. Will that really change the dynamic of the northern part of the law or the north part of the Las Vegas Strip, or is it going to be sitting there in across from Resorts World, but the rest of that northern part's going to kind of just stay the way it is, or do you see that invigorating it? I remember when Steve Wynn opened at the Wynn and then lastly the Encore, people said that property is too far north. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And when replied, you know, the property makes the destination, you know, makes the location, the destination makes the location. And I think Fontainebleau will take time because it is incredibly difficult to open a new property in Las Vegas, especially in the last decade where people are far more loyal to a particular property than they were in 2010, 2011. And that's an area of my own research looking at customer loyalty that people are more loyal today than they were a decade ago. So it will take time, but I think um, a lot of thought has gone into the property. I think a lot of the, and, and to an extent, resorts world, which is in the same category, they are close to the convention center. The convention customers will come to those properties over time when they're familiar with them. But I think trying to open up and get full revenue in day one is a very heavy lift for anyone. Um, so I think the, the North Strip, uh, again, there are still development plots there, will come back into play again. I think expecting it to happen 48 hours after Fontainebleau opened is wishful thinking. And uh, finally, what is the most important trend you see in Las Vegas for the next couple of years? I think it's the growth in non-gaming spend. I mean, yes, we have seen an increase in gaming over the course of the last couple of years. But also, if you see that you know the people that are coming here, they're coming. There is still younger customers here. They're spending money on food and beverage, and alcohol and luxury experiences. And I think, as long as casino resorts continue to innovate their offering, I think people will continue to come here and spend more money. That is, you know, the idea, the 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 times of coming and getting a cheap buffet and a free room. And cheap drinks are over. I think this is becoming a much more higher end uh, destination on the whole. And I think people are prepared to pay for it if they see value in that high end experience, which currently they do. And you mentioned earlier the high end experience, especially of certain headliners, but also on the dining side, on the retail side, and on the gaming side. Correct. And as well. if you compare the offering that you get in Las Vegas compared to New York or London or any other major city, this is still remarkably good mm-hmm. value. You can't get a hotel room in any major city in the world as good as you can in Las Vegas at the price that you can get it for in Las Vegas still. So, as a, you know, it's not a discount destination, right. Right. but for a lot of people, it's still a very good value break. Final, final question would be... Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of Las Vegas, knowing what you I'm, need? So I was, I was worried during COVID that people mm-hmm. wouldn't come here anymore. I had genuine fears about the viability of the city. I'm not. I think if the city managers and the county and the operators continue to strategically think the way they are, you come back in 15 years' time and Las Vegas will be one of the most important cities in America, and our city will be the focal point in the U.S. where people come together to do things, whether that is business tourism, sports tourism, or leisure tourism. If we continue to get that infrastructure right, where people meet other people, Las Vegas will be the place where that happens. And I'm very optimistic that the leadership within the city you know, will not make the mistakes that they could potentially do. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Oliver Lovett, a leading academic researcher and writer, and he's CEO of Denstone Group, which offers consultancy in the fields of strategy, asset management, and development specializing in customer-facing real estate. 
For everything about Denstone Group, go to denstonegroup.com and you can follow Oliver on X at Ollie Lovett. Oliver, thanks for being on the show again. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I look forward to talking again. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.